Welcome back to Zevo Talks, a podcast where we talk to thought leaders, risk takers, and great people making change. I'm your host, Ashling, and in today's episode, we are once again diving into the world of wellness to see how Ireland has made this a necessary factor in the modern workforce. I am delighted to be joined by two of IBEC's very best, Sophie Morin and Cara McGann. Sophie has been instrumental in taking well-being to the forefront of Irish businesses and making it a priority. Cara is the Head of Social Policy, focusing particularly in the area of diversity, inclusion and mental health. She has made huge headway in making inclusion and acceptance a priority in the Irish workforce. Thank you very much for joining us today. So um, firstly, let's talk about what has made well-being a priority in your own life and then um, going on to introduce it as part of your career. Um, I suppose for me, the whole area of mental health was always of particular interest. Um, I trained as a psychotherapist and so it would always have been something that I felt was really important in terms of that whole well-being experience. Um, sometimes we've, we've narrowed our focus on uh, physical health without accepting that in the same way that we have physical health that can be good or bad on a given day or, or month or year, we equally have mental health that can be good or bad on a day, month or year. Um, and that if we if we embrace that kind of holistic approach to well-being, we're giving ourselves the best chance to fulfil our potential and really bring our whole selves to, to work, to, to life outside of work and so on. Um, I suppose for me, well-being is important for a couple of reasons. Um, on the personal side of things, like for many years, I would have been a dancer and a gymnast. So, you know, looking after my nutrition and being physically active is something that has always been important and played a role in my life. Um, and then on the other hand, similarly to Cara, mental health would be an area of interest. Um, and I suppose it's something that has touched my life, um, you know, through family members, um, friends of friends. Suicide is something that I would be uh familiar with and I suppose reducing stigma around mental health and just promoting an acceptance that as you mentioned Cara it's something that affects everyone um, and something that can go up and down uh, from day to day um, is something that's important to me um, in terms of my career the the well-being piece is something that evolved from work I was doing in the area of promoting nutrition and physical activity I was doing some work with Food Drink Ireland in the area of promoting nutrition and physical activity. Um, and I suppose we started to then look at well-being from a more holistic point of view and thinking of ways that we could promote um, this kind of positive acceptance and embracing well-being in businesses. Is it something then that you actively looked for to go into a career to do something around wellness and well-being and, and corporate wellness I guess was it something that you you said okay this is I, I want to be involved with corporate wellness I want to push it um for me no actually it 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 sort of evolved um so the role um that I work in in IBEC the whole area of diversity and inclusion when we first started it was very much a focus on um, things like gender balance, things like cultural diversity and so on. And about seven, maybe eight years ago, um, 
a shift happened and, and people started to actually talk a little bit more about um, mental health, well-being, wellness and the connection, I suppose, between um, how your mental health is doing and, and how that that can impact you in every aspect of your life, including the workplace. Um, a lot of work with um, Sea Change, the National Stigma Reduction Partnership, was very much the, the, the starter for that conversation and for enabling, I think, employers to have conversations about it not being OK, or rather it being OK to be to not be OK um, and that we needed to reduce uh, this whole idea that mental health happened to other people. It was about them as opposed to it happens to one in four of us. So it's it's us, it's it's people in the same room. Um, <clears throat> so the, the role, I guess, uh, evolved and we were getting uh, queries from employers who were concerned that if they had a, a member of staff who was in mental distress, um, how could they support them? But equally a fear that anything they would do would add to the difficulty the person was already having. And so they were they were looking for support and looking for um, a way of navigating through that in an area that a lot of people hadn't really dealt with before. It, you know, we're, we're at, in a fortunate place now where people talk about mental health a lot more than they used to. And we've hopefully addressed stigma in a way that we maybe hadn't in the past to the same level. We still work to do, but we've come a long way. Um, and I think demystifying some of the areas around mental health and the fears that people had were I suppose coming from our employers a demand that we were we were facing so it was really fortunate because it also married with a real interest for me certainly and and so therefore it evolved as part of of a role that I was already in so I guess stumbled into it somewhat in that sense yeah and you mentioned that it it kind of has always been a part of your life um wellness and more so the nutrition and physical aspect is it something then that you actively wanted a career in or again kind of stumbled upon it I'd say definitely stumbled upon it. Um, I think the whole area of corporate wellness and well-being has really evolved rapidly in the past, like five, five to ten years. Um, so it's not an area that I would really have been aware of when I was thinking about, you know, future career prospects. Um, I actually trained in drama. Um, so again, very much about, you know, looking after yourself and um, being at peak performance. So. It definitely marries with the personal interest, but um, it was just a natural evolution of the work that I was then doing in helping to promote uh, nutrition and physical activity. But no, I think it's it's an emerging um, area still. So there's yeah. lots of interesting roles that are coming out now as well. And we're seeing in a lot of the companies that we're working with on the Keep Well Mark, um, roles with well-being in the title. Um, and I think it's it's great to see businesses putting well-being um, at the forefront and really investing in it and giving the, the required resources to, um, I suppose, to properly tackle well-being in the workplace. Yeah, it's really great to see because you can you can certainly see that people are realising the value of it um, and the impact that it can have um on how we work and and the culture of our workplace and i suppose the freedom that people have to bring their whole selves to work um which if we're not doing that 
actually causes problems for the individual and the employer. Um, so it's it's great to see that we're coming to that and that there's been such a, a groundswell, as Sophie says, of of interest in this area and, and growth in this area. It's like the, the Leaving Cert revision books, less stress, more success. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Cara, could you tell me a bit more about what social policy is? Sure. Um, I suppose it's 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 a really interesting area, but it's a very broad area. Um, so it can range um, if I even think about at the moment, kind of some of the key areas we're working on. It can range from everything to do with um, social welfare reform um, child care, um, diversity and inclusion, obviously ranging from. Uh, disability and getting people with disabilities into the workplace and retaining people with disabilities in the workplace all the way through to gender pay gap reporting, gender balance um, and so on. So it's it's kind of, I suppose, touching on all of the social aspects that impact um, life in general, but also the workplace. Um, so it can be quite a broad church, um, but a really interesting one yeah. as well. Excellent. And um, Sophie, in your opinion, how do you think companies can effectively change and improve their um, employees' well-being? Um, I suppose one of the important factors, or what I would consider to be one of the important factors, is that it should come from from the top, um, and that both uh, leaders and you know organisations as a whole should start by living um, with well-being in mind and prioritising their own well-being, um, which I think then can lead to that enablement of allowing employees to, to embrace well-being and to to live their, their lives, um, I suppose, fully, um, as Cara mentioned, bringing your whole self to work. Um, like, there's a huge amount that companies can do on a practical level as well, um, and I think it goes back to creating a supportive environment um, and an environment that allows people to thrive um, so that can mean things like promoting flexible working, um, having supports in place that allow people to disclose uh, mental health difficulties if they if they want to. Um, it can also be, I suppose, around allowing people to have find purpose in their work um, and to have sight of progression. So I suppose. Um, looking at that area, it might be around ensuring your managers are properly trained to check in with their um, their staff and identify development needs. Um, and I think it comes back simply to, to listening to your employees. Um, and that can be on the one-to-one basis or it can be on a wider um, level. So engaging in employee surveys, having forums, having a way to open the conversation because ultimately your employees will tell you what they need and what will have the biggest impact um you know when it comes to, when it comes to well-being and if if someone is an, an employee struggling with maybe their mental health or their well-being how would you advise them to start that conversation with their employer what's the best kind of way for them to go about it i mean i think like we would certainly just um to maybe look at the employer in the first instance we'd encourage employers to have maybe an employee assistance program that um would be promoted to their staff um and I suppose the idea behind that is perhaps that's the first port of call for the employee I'm not sure Cara what you would um say on that point sure um I I, I suppose 
it, it can be it can be tricky. Um, so I think Deloitte did research recently that that said that 61 percent of people hide something about themselves at work. So exactly to your point, if, if they've got a mental health issue or a well-being issue that they're, they're you know, thinking about raising, it has to feel safe to do so. And that's all about the culture in the organisation. And as, as Sophie says, you know, that, that employers are, are open to those kind of conversations. Um, if it doesn't feel safe or I feel that it's going to impact my career or my relationship with colleagues, well, I'm, I'm likely to be really reluctant to do so. And, and the problem with that is, you know, a lot of these things, the earlier the intervention happens if, if it's something small where it's it's as Sophie says just an opportunity to talk and get it out or if it's something that needs a little bit more support and maybe a bit of professional help here or there the earlier that happens the more successful the, the outcome because you haven't been carrying it for as long um, but that all comes about with whether or not the culture feels safe to do so so it's really important that we set that up um, and that we're, we're open to those conversations um, to what would encourage me as an employee to, to come forward and, and have a conversation like that might be a trusted manager or, or colleague that I feel I can reach out to. Um, so in I suppose in the mental health space, we have seen um, the, the introduction of mental health champions uh, in the workplace is really, really supportive in this area. These are, are trained colleagues, trained in mental health first aid in the same way as you'd be trained in physical first aid, um, but who are able to to uh, have a conversation, you know, support somebody in, in directing them oftentimes to where the, the actual assistance might be for them um, with a view to, to supporting them and giving them the confidence and encouragement to, to, to go that direction. Um, at the same time, it's not requiring anybody to diagnose or, you know, solve the problem for the individual, but really just to be there as a support for them. Other options, obviously, as I say, could be your manager or, or a different manager or HR, um, but it has to it has to feel safe to do that. Um, the employer, oftentimes what we have been hearing from employers is the concern that, OK, but what if they come to me? You know, what am I going to say? How am I going to support them? And as, as Sophie says, oftentimes, you know, having an employee assistance programme or really just being open to the conversation can be the starting point. Um, the, you know, the traditional and typical conversations that we have day to day with our people. You know, and just even something as open ended as you don't seem yourself today, you know, is everything OK? Is there anything we can support with can be the opportunity for somebody to actually unburden themselves and tell them tell you what's going on or not. But at least they know that potentially if they're ready and when they're ready, there is somebody there who's who's willing to, to hear them. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then in your experience, have you seen any long lasting damage that has been done by ignoring wellness? Um, I mean, we have definitely come across companies where maybe trust is an issue or employee engagement levels are low. Um, now, I suppose employee engagement is something that can definitely be targeted um, and well-being, um, like having a cohesive well-being programme can contribute to improving those numbers. It's something that we've seen um, with the Keep On Mark companies. Um, we asked enrolled organisations what difference had they seen since um, getting on board and 40% of companies said that employee engagement levels had improved. So I suppose that's kind of backed by um, statistics. We've also worked with companies who have had maybe more tragic outcomes. Um, 
and maybe lost, say, co-workers to, to suicide. And I mean, this is the reality. It's it's an issue for a lot of businesses. Um, and that's not necessarily a reflection on the company per se, but more so on the culture and on stigma. Um, so it's something that certainly can't be ignored. But thankfully, I mean, we've seen positive changes in terms of the number of businesses that are investing in mental health supports and also the number of disclosures as a result. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, there certainly can be negative long term effects, but I think the movement that's happening now within the business community um, is really positive and supports um, improvement in, in all areas of well-being. Definitely. I mean, even in terms of um, indicators like absenteeism or worse, presenteeism, mm-hmm. you know, if, if the the um, the the well-being culture within the organization isn't healthy they are areas that are likely to be impacted and as as Sophie says immediately engagement you know people disengage and we're in the middle of a sort of a war for talent around skills people will vote with their feet you know if it's not working for them there are opportunities out there to go elsewhere and and that's the reality um for some people because if it's impacting you on a on a mental and physical level you know, possibly one of the outcomes is to to look elsewhere. Um, So it does have real implications. Yeah, I think there's a a change kind of in the workforce as well, where it's it's a generational change. The younger generation coming in care about their their wellness and they they talk more openly about their mental health. And it's not just a case of get on with it anymore with with would have been the older generation. So how do, do you think that there's still maybe for the older generation, like they have to buy into it? How would you kind of battle that? Um, I mean, I think like change certainly takes time and like for businesses that are looking to the future, um, I think it's something that they need to be, be considering. Like there's other factors to consider as well. Like when you're looking at the aging workforce and the fact that people are working for longer than ever done before um you know and that can be for different reasons like well-being is is not just about your millennials and your mm. um you know your kind of emerging generations it's about looking after the whole workforce um i suppose i mean i can speak as a millennial um like certainly i expect my job to you know somehow speak to my values and i don't see why i shouldn't Absolutely. I think as a not millennial, (laughs) (laughs) like there's five generations in the workplace at the moment and and all of those have a very different cultural difference, even within the generations. Um, And you're absolutely right. You know, the the oldest generation in the workplace at the moment um, are kind of the stoic, loyal types who rarely had a sick day. So this whole area of mental health is is a bit challenging. but as, as Sophie says, we have a longer working life. We have people, you know, uh, going beyond retirement age as it traditionally was. Um, there are different demands on our wellness and our well-being at different stages within our within our, our careers, within our lifespan and so on. And I think that is what people maybe resonates with people um, because it's it's not just you know, a one size fits all approach. It has to be a little bit more fluid. And I think maybe it's a little bit freeing in a sense for a generation that maybe that wasn't something they they were maybe feeling they had the permission to, to talk about before. Now, I think it's a bigger challenge because if it's not something that you've been naturally doing comfortably, it can be a little bit 
difficult to start. But once you do, and I suppose once you feel that it's okay to, then that can can shift things. Yeah. Could you talk maybe a little bit about the effects um, that diversity and inclusion can make on a company? So the positive effects, I guess, of having inclusion programs and, and, and being very open and then maybe the negative effects that you might have seen of companies who aren't very inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I suppose the, there's probably a, a big difference between diversity and inclusion in the sense that diversity is, is what we have in our population anyway. But unless we harness it and really and really work with the, the diversity and the difference as well as the similarities, we're not going to get that inclusion piece. And really the, the sweet spot is when we get that inclusion piece. We know that research points to huge uh, business case uh, arguments around diversity and inclusion. So things from um, huge financial indicators from bottom line performance to earnings per share in companies that harness the diversity of their workforce. We know that it me- me- makes companies um, more in tune with their customers because they have a broad diverse base of customers and we're able to respond better in terms of the product services or solutions that we're providing for those customers because we're coming from a diverse base ourselves um, similarly creativity and innovation we know is sparked when you've got diversity of thinking in the room rather than the same types of people from the same types of backgrounds and the same ways of thinking about things and in the same sense um, higher quality decisions are made and better solutions to problems Uh, come about. Now, it's not necessarily always as easy. It takes a little bit more time when you've got diversity. Um, If you've got people who are all coming at it from the same way, you're likely to get through a problem quicker, but it may not be the best solution. Whereas if you spend that little bit more time, if you take that effort around diversity and inclusion, you're likely to see a higher quality outcome. Where, Where it doesn't work, um, we see silos within organisations. We see um, people experiencing blocks to their progression and to their careers or, or feeling quite uh, disconnected from their, their workplace and, and how, they're, how they're doing. And ultimately, you know, in a time of, of opportunity, again, people will leave or worse, they'll stay and will, you know, disrupt. Um, and neither of those things is good. Whereas if we can actually um, harness the, the, the value of, of that talent, really the outcomes are, are extremely positive. And I suppose in the, in the current situation where we have, you know, a, a real focus on the future of work, that ability to be agile and to change and to have different ways of coming at things and different ways of, of looking at the world um, really is a source of competitiveness and, and growth. So it's, it's really positive. And how do you think that companies could approach well-being with authenticity so they're not just doing it for the, the benefit, the look of it, they're doing it because they actually care? Um, I mean, I think probably goes back to what I was saying earlier around listening and talking to your employees um, to really assess what their needs are rather than what maybe you perceive to be, you know, a well-being programme. Um, and equally, you know, to be authentic, to lead with authenticity, it has to come back to, you know, those people that are driving. Um, and I suppose opening up the the approach to well-being beyond maybe the HR team or whoever is tasked with it per se um, and allowing maybe for a well-being committee or a, a forum that really brings more voices to the table when, when approaching it. I think it has to be bigger than a few initiatives as well. Mm. Sometimes, you know, we see great um, activities or, or interventions being 
placed into an organization and and it can kind of tick box we've we've done that we're 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 done now we've we've got our well-being sorted but if the culture doesn't actually support that initiative in in everyday life um it the authenticity just isn't there i think also um where possible role modeling um from the top team from the senior leaders is really really important because as much as we might hope that having the policy or the practice or the posters or the interventions around the house is really, really good and everybody gets it. Unless we actually see people in that leadership role being willing to be flexible or work differently or actually say, you know what, um, I experienced this and and I've come out the other side of it or I'm dealing with it or whatever makes it OK then to actually put your head above the parapet and say, OK, you know, this is something I need to, to take for myself. Do you think that the workforce is more demanding now than it was 10 or 20 years ago or do you think it's maybe less demanding? I think I think it's different. Um, I think every generation has a, has a different experience with it. I, I don't know that it's necessarily more demanding. I think we have the the positive and negative elements of technology, which certainly make life easier in many ways, but also mean that we struggle with being always on um, and requires a certain discipline to be able to switch off, but also requires both an understanding on the individual and the organization's part of the value of that, um, of how productivity is not just how many hours you can sit in the seat, you know, in the desk at the, at the, the computer screen, but as much time as you're spending innovating, creating, thinking, talking to other people, collaborating, bouncing ideas, you know, and so on. Um, so I, I think it, it's a double edged sword and one that we have to manage, but really offers such opportunities in terms of when and where we work and how we work. Um, so while I'd say there are different demands, I don't know that they're necessarily more. I mean, I think life and work are always going to be demanding. Um, and going back to what we spoke about earlier, about how there's not necessarily one size fits all. Um, I think we're more open now to flexibility, which is really positive. But as Cara said, there's there's a lot of noise um, in our lives and whether that's technology or stress, you know, we're, we're living in a, I mean, Dublin is, is a very busy city and a lot of people are commuting day in, day out. Um, so. I mean, I can't speak to the workplace 20 years ago necessarily, but I think, you know, it's there are challenges um, now and I'm sure there were different challenges 20 years ago. Um, but I suppose it's about how we're how we're approaching um, our lives and seeking out balance. And then on the, the employer side of things, how we're supporting um, people to have balance. So things like flexible and remote working. Um, you know, allowing people to maybe leave an hour earlier if that means they spend an hour less getting home um, at the end of the day. In your opinion, what are small efforts a company can do with minimum effort that could make um, maximum effect? Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's lots of resources out there um, when it comes to looking at well-being. Um, the Department of Health have published lots of material um, under the Healthy Ireland brand. Um, I suppose... Looking at the work environment is a good place to start as well. Um, so kind of going back to the, the traditional, you know, nutrition and physical activity, that aspect of well-being. And um, there's lots you can do there that doesn't necessarily take a huge amount of effort, but that can have um, 
a real impact on people. So things like healthy choices being available, um, that could be your canteen if you serve food, just ensuring that there are options for people. It could be taking a look at your vending machines and maybe changing up what's in there to allow for more healthy choices for people. Um, it could be promoting physical activity and allowing people to maybe get to and from work. Um, so do you have bike sheds? Do you have showers? You know, are you facilitating people to make the healthier choice? And I mean, certainly if those changes need to be made, I mean, there will be a little bit of investment, but it's not a huge um, project, but it might make a difference um, to, to a number of employees. Um, some businesses also adopt kind of simple um, incentives to encourage people to be healthy. So even offering an extra 10 or 15 minutes at lunchtime for people who maybe have gone for a walk or a run or um, anything like that. And then, I mean, I would recommend most organisations um, if they have the resources to look at maybe an employee assistance programme um, because I suppose that offers another level of support um, particularly if your your resources are tight in terms of your, your HR personnel or whatever it might be. Um, you know, even if that has an impact on one person, um, that could really change their lives. So it's definitely, you know, maybe a small change that could have a real long term impact. I think it's important as well to kind of draw on the the, the bodies that are out there in this space. Um, you know, as Sophie says, keep well is there. But we also have a lot of partners in this space who you know, are willing to work with employers on different levels. Um, if we take the example, for example, of, of Sea Change on the mental health side, they provide training um, free of charge for organisations. Um, they support the Green Ribbon campaign uh, for mental health uh, each year where they provide those to, to employers. Um, against small efforts but that raise awareness and start conversations around mental health let's say I think also um, role modelling you know which which once once the culture has decided it's going down a well-being route within the organisation having that that in place costs nothing but means so much to people within the organisation I suppose when when an employer is dealing with anything uh, in this space, particularly, let's say, around mental health, they have to remember that the colleagues and friends of the, that individual who maybe at that given time is going through a situation are watching. And so many of them are thinking that could be me, you know, or that could be my sister, brother, friend. Um, and how the employer treats it can have a huge impact on even engagement and loyalty to the company because the trust has to be there that you've cared for my colleague in a way that is is human and in a way that that you know is 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 the way we would all like to be treated um so i think there are lots of small moves we can make to to this bigger well-being agenda thank you for listening to another episode of zevo talks we would like to thank sophie and Cara for joining us today both have been huge players in the change that has been seen in the irish workforce in recent years We've seen lots of changes that have and are happening within the workforce, but of course there is still room for more to be done. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.